Good evening. Uh, welcome to Kirkpatrick Memorial, uh, to our Good Friday service. Uh, yes, you did hear me right. I said to Kirkpatrick Memorial, I'm, I'm down here in the church building. Uh, let me just show you um, a little of what the place looks like for those of you who haven't been in the building for a long time and are starting to forget what it looks like. And maybe you're somebody who's a guest with us at these uh, online gatherings and you actually don't know what our church building looks like. This is what Kirkpatrick Memorial uh, looks like. Uh, this is where we gather under normal circumstances. This is what we call home. You'll see that the building is entirely empty this evening. Um, it's kind of fitting uh, for what I want to talk about uh, here this Good Friday evening. We host a Good Friday service here every year at Kirkpatrick Memorial, and the services tend to be very simple. Uh, we sing God's praise. We pray. Uh, we read uh, part of the, the Bible story, uh, particularly about Jesus and his death. And then we try to reflect on what the meaning of Jesus' death might have for us. That's what we're going to do here this evening at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Uh, perhaps you'd join with me as we pray together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. You showed us that he was your son, your appointed king. You showed us just how beautiful life would be if your kingship was restored over all things. The poor were raised up, the hungry were fed, the blind made to see and the lame to dance. Lord, we long for more and more of your kingdom among us. Jesus, we thank you that you're a different kind of a king. You're not after wealth or luxury or privilege or power. You came as a servant to humble yourself to death, even death on a cross. This evening we come to you. We think of you and your dying on the cross. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd meet with us this evening and change us, we pray. Amen. Just now we're going to sing an opening hymn together, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Just now we're going to read together of the death of Jesus. Uh, these last weeks at Kirkpatrick Memorial, we've been studying a part of Mark's gospel. Uh, and I'm going to pick up the story in chapter 15, uh, starting to read there at verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sixth hour, by the way, is noontime and the ninth hour about three in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud voice, Jesus cried his last. The curtain from the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him from to Jerusalem were also there. What a gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. Let's sing together. Good Friday in 2020 falls in a season when we've been studying Mark's gospel together here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Over these last weeks, we've been moving slowly with Jesus towards the cross. These last few weeks, we've seen Jesus in his last days. He's the one who once turned water into wine but now drinks the cup of God's wrath. He's God's chosen king, but he's the one who's willing to go under the sword of God's justice. He's the judge of all the earth, but he's accepting our guilt and our sentence. On Sunday past, we thought about the darkness that accompanied Jesus' death. He's the light of the world, but he goes into the deepest darkness for us. This evening we're going to spend a final bit of time with the dying Jesus at the foot of his cross, wondering what all of this might mean for us. Our gathering this evening falls in unprecedented times. For as long as we live, we'll remember coronavirus, COVID-19. I haven't talked about it much in our gatherings so far. I've tried to give you respite from the incessant talk, but tonight I am going to talk about it and one aspect of it in particular. We've all been affected by coronavirus by now. Three and a half weeks into lockdown, none of our lives are the same. We're shopping differently. We're exercising in new ways. Uh, we're having to work from home. Some of us are having to learn how to homeschool. Some of us have, have had illness in our families. Some of us by now have lost loved ones who have been infected with coronavirus. We've all been affected in different ways, but there's one way in which coronavirus has affected all of us. We've all been forced into isolation. A couple of months ago, none of us had heard of self-isolation and now we're living it. It's hard. 
even for those of us who are in family units, we miss seeing our wider family and seeing our friends. But it's particularly hard for anyone who lives alone. Theirs is a true self-isolation. Isolation leaves us feeling very alone. I've been reading a little bit over these last few weeks about people's experience of isolation. So I've read about a Scottish islander, a round-the-world sailor, a Benedictine monk, a submarine captain, and a polar scientist who spends two or three months a year on the Admonson Scott Station down at the South Pole. All of these people have been sharing their experiences of different kinds of isolation. I found the reflections of John, a bicycle courier from Manchester, self-isolating due to coronavirus, to be the most poignant. John says, not talking to real people can be difficult because you struggle to validate whether your thoughts are valid. He goes on to say, hearing people's voices makes you feel human. That's it, isn't it? Being around other people is what makes us feel human. When we're not around other people, for some time we start to feel less human. That shouldn't surprise us. Not if we're people who take the Bible seriously. We believe, you see, that God made us for community. God made us to love, to love him, and to love one another. That's why solitary confinement has been used as a punishment the world over. I was reminded of that just last week when I rewatched the Shawshank Redemption. It tells the story of a man imprisoned for nearly 20 years in a brutal jail. Among all the brutal punishments that were regularly visited on the inmates, one punishment was reserved for the worst of their crimes. Time in the hole. A day, a week, occasionally even a month, in solitary confinement. It's torture to be alone. Over the last few weeks, as we've allowed Mark to lead us toward the cross of Jesus Christ, we've seen Jesus suffer all sorts of hardships. He struggled in the garden, suffered a great miscarriage of justice, He was beaten and mocked by soldiers and finally now nailed to a cross with six-inch nails through his wrists and his ankles and a wreath of thorns crushed into his skull. Jesus has suffered in lots of diverse and gruesome ways, but he's never complained. He's never raised his voice. He doesn't do that. He doesn't cry out or complain or raise his voice Until the very end, whenever the physical suffering is actually almost over. When he finally cries out, he doesn't cry out about his physical suffering. It's not, oh, my hands, my feet, my back's killing me. Help me, I'm suffocating. It's none of these. What is it that causes Jesus to cry out? What's the ultimate suffering for Jesus? Mark tells us. In verse 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, 
which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is Jesus crying out? Because he's been abandoned by the Father. That's the ultimate form of suffering for him. It's torture to be alone. Isolation is difficult for any human being to bear, but our isolation, our feeling of being desolated and alone, will never, never come close to what Jesus experienced on the cross. You see, a person's sense of isolation and desolation depends on the quality of the relationship that they have lost. Think about it for a second. If I've conducted a church service here at Kirkpatrick Memorial, and a visitor, a total stranger, comes to me in the vestibule at the end of the service, and if that visitor says, that was rubbish, you're a joke, I'll never be back, I'd find that hurtful. But I'd get over it pretty quickly, because I've no relationship with that person. But if someone else who's been a member of the congregation for years, with whom I've laughed and cried, with whom I've worked and prayed together, if they come to me and say, Christoph, I've been part of this community that you lead, and quite frankly, I don't like it anymore. I've had enough of you. That'll be much harder to hear. I had a closer relationship, you see, with that person. But there's something worse still. It's when I go home after the service and Claire, my wife of 21 years, says, Christoph, I'm leaving. I don't want to see you or speak to you ever again. For me, that's the worst kind of isolation because of the quality of the relationship. The longer the love, the deeper the love, the deeper the loss and the greater the torment That's why Jesus experienced such great torment on the cross. He was experiencing the unraveling of the greatest love of all. The love of the Father for the Son. They'd loved each other through all eternity. This love was longer and deeper than any other love. This love was absolutely perfect. And in that moment, as he hung on the cross, Jesus was losing that love. We've said it over and over again these last few weeks. Jesus on the cross is our substitute. He's experiencing God's judgment on our behalf. And the worst part of it for Jesus, it's not the physical pain, it's not the humiliation, it's to be separated from God. For Jesus, it's torture to be alone. Let's pause for a moment and reflect on the Father's deep love and the Son's isolation. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away. Let's sing how deep the Father's love for us. We're thinking this evening about isolation. The isolation which Jesus Christ felt on the cross. 
When he's telling us about Jesus' death, Mark reminds us about an isolation policy that existed among God's people at this time. He talks in verse 38 of chapter 15 about the curtain in the temple as if the whole audience would know what he was talking about. His first audience did all know what he was talking about. The curtain was part of the fabric of the temple. The curtain separated the Holy of Holies, where God's glory was located, from the rest of the temple and therefore from the people. Only the holiest man, the high priest, from the holiest nation, the Jews, could enter the Holy of Holies and only on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He had to bring a blood sacrifice, an atonement for the sins of the people. The curtain existed to keep everyone out. It existed to create separation and isolation between God and humanity. God was self-isolating from his people. Why would he do that? It's because of who God is and because of who we are. He's so beautiful, so perfect, and so pure. His holiness is so fierce that if we entered his presence, that would be the end of us. God's is a searing holiness. If we made contact with him, we'd be undone. So our God is a self-isolating God. He can't welcome us into his presence because if he did it would kill us but our God's also a loving father so our isolation from him breaks his heart and because it breaks his heart he's done something about it what's God done about this gulf that exists between him and us What's he done about the curtain that divides us? He sent Jesus and he sent him to the cross. Mark shows us in the most dramatic terms what God's done about the curtain. In verse 38, immediately after recording the moment of Jesus' death, Mark brings our attention to something that happened simultaneously at the temple on the other side of the city. Like a skillful film director cutting between parallel scenes, He wants us to understand that these two events are linked in some way. We're transported to the interior of Jerusalem's huge temple. And we see an incredible thing. We see the temple curtain 30 feet high, as thick as the palm of my hand. It's made of one single piece of material. And suddenly we hear a thunderous ripping sound. As the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom and falls to the ground in pieces. It's very dramatic. But the physical event is a trifle compared to the deeper reality. Do you see now what the death of Jesus Christ means? At precisely the moment when Jesus dies on the cross, this curtain is ripped in two, top to bottom, 
by God. God is saying that his period of self-isolation is over. The barriers are down. The way's now open for you and for I to be with him. Nothing stands in our way. Nothing stops us from enjoying a beautiful relationship with him. It's amazing. That's what's so good about Good Friday. How does this happen? Well, it's because Jesus takes the isolation that we deserve and makes it his. He has heaven's door slammed in his face so that we can have the curtain open to us. Jesus, separated from God so that we can be welcomed in. I wonder what you make of that. I wonder how you find yourself responding to the death of Jesus on the cross. In his gospel, Mark tells us about the responses of a few of the people who gathered around the cross. The passers-by hurled insults at him. The chief priests, they mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. But one man, Mark tells us, responded differently. No sooner is the curtain open than he walks in right through it. He says, looking at Jesus, surely this man was the son of God. He gets it. The whole thing, the whole of Mark's gospel in one go, King's cross. Who is this on the cross? It's the King, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Friends, this guy, uh, a Roman centurion, was an extremely unlikely first convert for a couple of reasons. He was a Roman. In those days, every Roman coin was inscribed Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. There's only one person that a loyal Roman would ever refer to as the son of God. And that's Caesar. This guy is giving the title now to Jesus. It's amazing. There's a second reason why this Roman centurion makes an unlikely first convert. He was a hard, hard man. Centurions weren't aristocrats who had been granted military commissions. They were enlisted men. They had risen through the ranks. This man had seen death. He had inflicted death to a degree that you and I could hardly imagine. And yet, he's the first person in all of Mark's gospel to profess that Jesus is of God. How was that? What was it that got through to this hardened pagan? Mark tells us that it was as he heard Jesus' last cry and saw how he died that he made his profession of faith in Jesus. This guy's seen a lot of deaths, but he's seen something in this one death unlike any other. It's the tenderness of Jesus in this moment of terror. It's the beauty of Jesus shining through in the darkness. This Lent season, 
we've allowed Mark to lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. We've seen all that he's done for us. How he's drunk the cup of God's wrath. He's gone under the sword of God's justice. How he's accepted the guilty verdict that we deserve. How he's gone for us into the deepest darkness. Tonight, we've seen him go into the worst kind of isolation. He's descended into the hole so that we can be welcomed in. You're not staying outside, are you? Are you ready to come in through the curtain to be with God the Father who loves you? To be with his beautiful son Jesus who gave his life for you? Are you ready to start living the life that you were made for? Come this Easter season. Come to Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your deep, deep love for us. Thank you that you were willing to give your only son to make a wretch like me your treasure. Jesus, thank you for your deep, deep love. Thank you that you were willingly separated from your father so that I could be welcomed in. Lord, help me resolve this Good Friday evening never to live far from you again. Let there be an end for once and for all of any isolation I choose from you. Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, I'm coming through. I'm coming home. Amen. This evening we have accepted Mark's invitation to spend some time with him at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We've seen how Jesus, the light of the world, was snuffed out. Jesus, who'd come to give us life to the full, we've seen how that life was taken from his body. He went into the deepest possible isolation so that you and I could be welcomed into the richest of all families. Jesus has died. It's not the end of the story. Mark continues his account. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. 
Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid.